Hey guys, this is Ian Mendes from The Athletic, and you're listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. going everybody welcome to the third line plug sense cast i am your host taylor gibson joining me as always from the tropical metropolis of calgary alberta my co-host tim jensie tim how's it going sir it's going great had a, actually a really good halloween this year and uh, we got two pretty darn good games to talk about i guess technically we talked about one of them during uh, last week's episode but uh, that's neither here nor there it's true and you know what it I am really, really happy that we're not being paid for this podcast because what kind of podcaster watches a hockey game while we're recording? I do. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Yeah, this is an award-winning podcast that hasn't won shit, Tim, but what can we do? Hey, we're on our way. So, Tim, we got a fully loaded episode to talk about today, but the first thing we're going to do, we got to talk about today's cover athlete because today's episode is season five, episode three in chronological order, episode 98, the Victor Mette edition of the third line plug, Sensecast. So just a little background about Victor Mette. He was drafted 100th overall by the Montreal Canadiens in 2016. He spent three and a half seasons with Montreal recording four goals, 30 assists for 34 points in 185 games before being claimed off waivers by the Ottawa Senators in 2021, where he would record one goal, one assist for two points in 14 games for Ottawa last season. So Mete is somebody who, when we got him off waivers, I was very, very excited that we got him because I heard about him in Montreal. He looked like he needed a fresh start. He comes here, he does pretty well. But now coming into this season, there's always been the question about why the Senators are playing him over Eric Brandstrom. Yeah, it's, it is really tough, especially because it seems like it's either him or Brandstrom when really it should be uh, Brandstrom in and probably Zaitsev out. But that's just not something that's going to happen, so we kind of have to live with that. But just talking about Victor Mede on the merits, he's had a pretty good season, except for a few really... There were two really rough games so far. But... For a young guy, I can't hate him. He moves the puck well enough. The hockey IQ is coming along. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty good offensively oriented third line guy. 100%. 100%. Now, the nice thing about our cover athletes, Tim, is that I usually announce it on Twitter and I ask our listeners, if you have any thoughts, any memories, put it in the comments. So we do have one comment here. It's actually from our future podcast co-host, Joseph saying to more and his comment was reminds me of cc a little good skater offensive upside but a defensive liability mm-hmm. that's fair yeah so 
given I just said that, Tim, I totally forgot that we have to make that announcement right now. <laughs> alert, 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 alert. So, yeah, I just kind of spoiled it right then and there. So our guest co-host for November will be former Third Line Plug co-host Joseph St. Amour on November 21st, which will be season, let's have a look here, season three, four, five, season five, episode six, in chronological order, episode 101. So that's going to be a good episode, you know, because we can have so many people we can talk about, Ray Emery, Mike Condon. It'll probably be Razor. I think Razor will probably be the overwhelming favorite for that cover athlete. So very, very excited to announce that. Very excited. I should have actually, honestly, I should have announced that right off the top, but that doesn't matter right now. Right, because there is no sense player 99, right? There isn't, but for next week's cover athlete, Tim, I got a very, very special treat for us. So for next week's episode, season five, episode four, in chronological order, episode 99. Now you're absolutely right, Tim. There wasn't an Ottawa Center that wore the number 99, but there was one particular player who wore 99, and the cover athlete will be Wayne Gretzky's final game in Canada, which was April 15th, 1999, versus the Ottawa Senators. Yeah, we'll talk about Mr. Three, all three stars. <laughs> Do you want to actually just watch that game if we can find it? Oh, that would be fun. That would be a really cool third line plug rewind if we can find that. Yeah. Well, we'll definitely throw it on the list. If we can find it, we'll definitely do it as like a bonus episode. Yeah, maybe a, a listener is just sitting on an old recording. Maybe. That's your cue, listeners. If you have any idea where we can find some footage of that game or you have the entire game, send it our way and we'll definitely check it out. Oh, for sure. So, Tim, given that we were just talking about our cover athlete for this week, our cover athlete for next week, I feel this is the perfect segue to talk about last week's episode where we had our good friend of the show, the bottom of the pod, Trevor Shackles from Silver Silver Sends and Cosford Pointcast as our guest co-host. You know what's funny? And I, we should talk a little bit about the episode because it, for whatever reason, when I was when we were recording, I had this weird feeling like this is like, not going well i i don't know maybe it's just a weird feeling on my end it wasn't until i listened back to the audio i was like you know the episode was not that bad it turned out pretty good so i was happy honestly i thought we had a great episode it felt like it was rolling well we had good conversation and there was something just very fun about being able to pop in and just talk about a game that was currently airing especially because it's a game we're gonna be talking about tonight and it's a really fun to watch game. Now, unfortunately, I have no comments to make until we get to the game because unlike you and unlike Trevor, I was fully focused on doing that episode. But that's okay, you know, because honestly, like I said, when I go when I got back to listen to the episode, it turned out better than I thought on my end. And it's always weird. It, I don't know why. It's always when we have shackles on. It's that weird feeling of. Like, okay, don't screw up. Don't mess up. I don't know why. It doesn't matter any. We've had so many people on the show, and yet Shackles is the one that I feel that around. So I don't know. Maybe that's because he was the first one that we did. 
when it came to like a season preview show, first time we ever did like a season recap, any of those episodes, it's him. Maybe, yeah. Well, it might be that, right? It might just be, this is another, well, I don't want to say another first, Joseph was a co-host a couple of years ago, but it was the first guest co-host for season five. So it was anyway. Now, coming off of talking about last week's episode, usually, you know, we would talk about our week and what we've been up to. I feel we should talk a little bit about Halloween because last night, at the time of this recording, last night was Halloween. Kids were out trick-or-treating. We gave out candy. So I was inspired by our bods at Bodcast. So they talked about their favorite Halloween candy, their least favorite Halloween candy, and just talk about Halloween memories. I feel it's a good time to talk about our favorites and some of our memories of Halloween. Now, talking about Halloween candy, and you know, everybody has their favorite, everybody has their least favorite. For yourself, Tim, and I know that because you lived in both Canada and the UK, do you have a favorite candy in both countries? So it's funny because in the UK, when I was living there, trick-or-treating just wasn't a thing. Really? So in the UK, they have Guy Fox Night is what they celebrate, and it's just a week after. So Halloween never really became that big of a thing. It seemed to be changing a little when I was living there, but no, it wasn't really a big thing. Uh, Trick-or-treaters just didn't go out. I don't really have like kind of a Halloween candy favorite for the UK, but I think my favorite British candy would probably be Fruit Pastels. They're uh, a candy made by a company called Roan Tree that ended up getting bought by Nestle uh, after I left. But uh, they're like wine gums, but they put more a bit more sugar in them. So they're not quite as tart and they have a more palatable texture than wine gums. Okay. Is it more soft or is it just more chewy? It's more soft. More soft. Okay. Cause that was my big issue with wine gums is you like you take one, they have kind like the sourness and just the gumminess of them don't seem to match very well. Cause they like, they get sticky really fast. Right. They do. I find with wine gums though, the big issue with me and I like wine gums myself is that i always find they get stuck in your back molar and they're a pain in the ass to get it off it's just like oh why why are you like this yeah no uh, i'm not a big fan of them as for canada probably say crunchy bars okay yeah although it like yeah there's definitely a lot of good candy here uh but i think yeah probably crunchy bars are my favorite because you just get that nice uh kind of the honey toffee flavored and a nice wafer and then uh i've done a lot of traveling around uh japan as well and i think my favorite there i w- i don't want to say pocky because that's just too basic an answer but <laughs> actually the big thing i go for in uh, tokyo is usually sweet breads so they'll be filled with uh, a custard or something is and those are really good donut? yeah kind of like, like it's kind of like a donut but it's more like Okay, because when you're saying sweet bread, I'm I'm instantly thinking of like a donut. It's or, more like an eclair. Oh, an eclair. Okay, I was gonna say like a yeah. croissant. I, that's where my mind was going. So or a croissant. Yeah, there's a lot of that stuff. Milky Bay. Oh, actually, no. I'm gonna take this back. I think my favorite is there's these uh, chocolate covered biscuits that are either in the shape of a mushroom or a bamboo shoot called uh, kino kino uh, baby baby bamboo or sorry baby mushroom and then no wait kinokonoko is uh baby bamboo and i've forgotten the word for mushroom so i'll hunt on that one but uh 
yeah, they're these little buskets that come in a small pouch and those are really good. Nice. So talk a little bit about my, some of my favorite Canadian candies and you know, Halloween here. And that's, it's inter- interesting that you mentioned in the UK, like trick or treating wasn't really a thing. Is that a North? It must be a North American thing. I believe so. Yeah, well, it's it, like it going was- door to door. It's a very suburban thing. Right. Whereas in the UK, depending where you're living, you're kind of spread out a bit. Or you're in te- like you're in tenements or you're in apartments. It's very dense. Okay. Yeah. Actually, you know what? No, that makes a lot of sense. I'd never actually thought about that to myself, Tim. So talking about my favorite Canadian candies and, you know, as much as I don't have much of a sweet tooth, I definitely have my favorites growing up. Number one is Kit Kats. Uh, you know, you give me a Kit Kat bar. It's great. Such a good bar. I don't know what it is. I've always liked Kit Kats. Coffee crisps. I've always liked coffee crisps. That's a pretty standard Canadian staple right there for the sugary diets. But then there were some other ones which they weren't bad, but I wouldn't go out of my way to get them if, if I saw them. Like, say, a Butterfingers, which I don't – I was not crazy with Butterfingers growing up. The snack, the fun size Snickers, which I do like. I like Snickers. But one thing I do want to comment to you, because you also lived in Nova Scotia for a while. One thing that we don't get out on the West Coast, unless it's Halloween, Humpty Dumpty chips. Ah, uh, you're not missing much. I know, right? It's they're just, not good. They're not good. They're such an overrated potato chip. And it's just like, and you know what? Out here in the West Coast, it was always halloween it was always halloween that you got those and they were never good they were mm. never good i'm actually surprised that like even here like you wouldn't get old dutch potato chips which are like granted i i still prefer lays but like old dutch are definitely better than humpty dumpty oh definitely that it's definitely an upgrade in the potato chip landscape for sure and i realized i screwed up the name on the biscuits that i was talking about for japan the the bamboo shoot ones are takonoko no ko, and the mushroom ones are kinoko no yama. But I think they're sold in North America just as like mushroom cookie, Meiji brand mushroom cookies. Right. So, uh, yeah, you don't, if you're looking for them here, you just, you don't need a Japanese name. Outside of like chocolates, I'm, I'm definitely more of a gummy candy kind of guy. Like you give me like, Swedish fish, Swedish berries. For me, though, Yo. I will go out of my way and say this. Fuzzy peach. Love fuzzy you peach. put that back to my mind. I was like, you know what? I did fuzzy peaches dirty. Yes, I love fuzzy peaches, man. Fuzzy peaches, for me, I don't know what it is. They are so good. They're so good. And even, well, I guess I was going to say Bigfoot. Like the Bigfoot candies. But yeah. It sold at Christmas. Or not Christmas, Halloween. I think of my grandparents when I get the when I see the big flip candies, but yeah, definitely, definitely fuzzy peach. Oh, so good. Yo, what about Sour Patch Kids? Those are same idea, very good. Okay, Sour Patch Kids, I don't mind them. I refuse to eat them today. Really? For one reason, because last season when the Seahawks were playing the Buffalo Bills, uh-huh. I like to have a couple of drinks when I watch the game because you know it's Sunday, whatever. You're I'm not working. I'm not, I'm not going anywhere. I accidentally got really drunk, ate a lot of Sour Patch Kids, and they came up pretty quickly. That's not the candy's fault, hey? 
I know it's not the candy's fault, Tim, but you know what? When you're in the bathroom and that's what's coming up and that's what you're tasting, it's like, oh, it's the worst. I don't mind Sour Patch Kids. Like, I'll have them every now and then, but it's it's not the same. They're ruined. That's fair. That's fair. Actually, I think I now remember why I just forgot about Fuzzy Peaches because the last time I had them, I was marking at U of T and I was marking essays and they were not good essays. It was like undergrad's first essay, economics essay. Oh, okay. So then negative memories attached to them is what you're saying. Yeah. And it was like, I'm going, and I was like, you know what? I need to go get lunch. And for some reason, instead of buying actual lunch, I went to 7-Eleven and got like a large cherry Coke and a big bag of fuzzy peaches and just ate that. And the marking didn't get better. Me. Why that doesn't surprise me, I don't know, Tim. What, that I'm just like, okay, I'm 100 essays deep and it's not getting any better and I still have like 50 to go. I need a pick-me-up. Yeah. So true. Now, switching over to our least favorite Halloween candies. Now, the one candy you did mention in your favorites, I'm going to kick off my least favorite. I can't stand crunchies really i hate crunchy i've never liked crunchy bars they are just disgusting i don't know what they are are we thinking of the same crunchy bar because there are two in north america not crispy crunch crispy crunch i really no, not crispy crunch uh there's one in a blue wrapper by nestle and one in a golden wrapper by cadbury i'm gonna quickly google this because no i think that we might have a different let me have a look here crunchy Crunchy chocolate bar. Yeah, I think, yeah, the one I'm thinking of is from Cadbury. The one that comes in a yellow wrapper. Okay, that's the one I like. No. I'm no, that means we can trade. <laughs> Perfect. No, I've never liked them. You know what's funny, though, is my dad really likes them. So anytime at Halloween or there was one year at Christmas, I, me and my brother, we got like the full-size Snickers and Mars bars in a case. Yep. And I gave my dad and my brothers the, the crunchy bars. Because I, I've never liked them. I don't like the taste. I don't like the texture, te- texture, texture. And it, there's also like, it goes back to my childhood. There's just certain things that I had as a kid. I don't like between those sesame snaps. I hate, I think sesame snaps are disgusting. There was those, there was fig Newtons. I've never liked fig Newtons. I think those are awful. Well, that those just go into lunch cases and fucking die, right? They just turn to this disgusting paste that you open the thing and it just kind of limps on out and you're just like, oh, I don't want to touch that. I know. Not like the three-month-old moldy soup. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, at least the Fig Newton won't be just like a well, rainbow culture of whatever. Pretty much, man. Pretty much. Now, can we be in agreement on one thing that... The candy that got the least eaten at Halloween, Rockets. Yeah. Actually, the Sour Rockets are really good. The problem is you just got too many of them. Yeah, we never got them. Rockets, those are the candies at at the bottom of the bin, couple of days, maybe a week later, those are the ones that are left. Nobody eats them. Everybody just looks at them and they're like, no. Between that, I always I had a toss up between those and Tootsie Rolls. I don't mind Tootsie Rolls, but 
Rockets think- definitely are the candy that's always at the bottom of the bag. Yeah. Well, it's like, I like Rockets. I don't like them that much. So, like, y- you know the houses would just buy them because they came in the big bag that was cheap, right? And if you're just looking for pure sugar, then you can't beat it. But, yeah, you get, like, a hundred fuckers in the bottom of your bag. You're just like, oh, okay. And, uh, yeah, no. And then Tootsie Rolls, it's... I'm not a big molasses guy. And... If you like molasses, you'll you love Tootsie Rolls, right? That's the funny thing, because I don't really like molasses myself. That's why I'm saying I'm kind of cool with them, but I will not say that they're my favorite can of candy of the world. Fair. You know what I, you know what I actually kind of thought of when I think of Halloween? Do you remember the Popeye sticks? Right. The one that all the kids used to use as cigarettes? Yes. They don't sell those anymore. That's a shame. You never see them anymore at Halloween. Like we've been doing Halloween for years here. And since I was a kid, we, I haven't seen them. I maybe they still sell them. Maybe we just don't buy them, but they're so rare. They're so uncommon now. So uh, when we were picking up like a chocolate Canadian tire, I was looking at like what the other uh, packs had because uh, we decided to be the cool kit, the cool house on the block and give out the full size chocolate bars. And uh, I looked at the small bags of candy and chocolate and stuff just to see what was in there. And yeah, I didn't see the Popeye sticks at all. I didn't even see a bag of rockets. Now for your full-size candy bars, would you go to like a Dollarama or like a dollar store to get them? So Canadian Tire had a special on where uh, you get a box of a mix of eight. No, 10. No, it was 10. It was 10 for like six bucks. Okay. They were just on sale that day. Sorry, that weekend. Actually, yeah, I'll give you that. No, I was thinking about this because somebody was recommending to Brian five or six on Twitter that he was going to give out full size candy bars, and they're just like, "Well, why don't you just go to like Dollarama or one of these kind of dollar stores and just get a box full of from them?" Yeah, it's either that or Costco. It's true. Costco does pretty good stuff. I'm not going to lie. I think that's where I got those full size candy bars at Christmas time years ago. I think they gone from Costco as well. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it'll be like a pack of eight of them for, I forget how much they are, but yeah, it's a pretty good deal. So go back to my original comment about Popeye sticks is that, did you know anybody who actually genuinely liked those? Nope. No, they were, it was like eating chalk. That's probably what it was. It was just chalk decided as sugar. Well, it's like, you know what they reminded me of? What? Something not candy, but candy adjacent. The stick of a lollipop. Okay. I see where we're going with this. Yeah, yeah because it's like that weird, soft, but not kind of firm texture and just not a strong taste. It reminded me of like the, the part of the lollipop stick that the actual candy touched. Okay, yeah, actually that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. <laughs> so given that we just talked about Halloween candy, let's talk about our one of our some of our favorite Halloween costumes. Because you know, and I know for yourself, I going to a lot of anime conventions, I know that you're very into like cosplaying and stuff like that. So you probably have a lot of experience when it comes to putting together a really good Halloween costume. For yourself, is there a Halloween costume or a couple of Halloween costumes from the, off the top of your head that you would say that was either the best or that was one of your all-time favorites? 
funnily enough, by the time that like I didn't get into cosplay until I was in university. So I hadn't, I kind of stopped putting all that much effort into uh, costumes. Uh, I think in high school, my favorite one that I did is I did the vault dweller from Fallout 3. So I had the jump, the jumpsuit, what a what on the back, and just carried around a baseball bat. Right. And that was a lot of fun. And a lot, I remember I got a lot of people just like, oh, it's not just a store-bought thing. And it was funny because I was using my dad's work coveralls and then we just sewed on, put on some yellow to them. And people were like, Tim, why do you have coveralls with your name on them? <laughs> so that was a good Halloween one. One I did in university is I dressed up as a, uh, general macarthur and uh we ended up doing a kind of an alternate like a ar game survival thing called humans versus zombies and because I, I decided to dress up because it was near halloween in that general's outfit and people were like there's the general we have to listen to him <laughs> so i got an unearned position of influence just because i was dressed up like an army general you know that doesn't surprise me to be perfectly honest tim like i've known you for how many years you dressing up like an army general, that doesn't shock me at all, man. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Of course not. And then I guess me kind of weaseling my way into a position of influence probably isn't that surprising either. No, definitely knowing you back in the day, that does not surprise me. <laughs> student council president. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, between student council president and when we did the debates in ninth grade. I don't even remember those. Oh my god! When you made Shavon cry, I don't. I don't remember doing that in grade nine. It had to have been ninth grade, man, because we were all in the same class that year. I don't think Siobhan was at Q of A in grade nine. Anyway, oh, not important. Yeah. So, what ones do you remember? Okay, so some of the ones that I remember growing up, definitely because the Star Wars prequels came out when i was a kid there was one year i went as what i was darth vader i went as one year that was kind of cool darth maul i don't think i went as him top of my head i can't remember the best costume i ever had and i think it was in sixth or seventh grade i went as angus young from acdc nice and here's the thing and i'm not just like yeah, a schoolboy outfit and a wig this is the best part. This is why my dad is awesome. Because my dad went into the workshop. He had a piece of wood. He custom made me a wooden Gibson SG with the tuners, humbuck, fucking everything. And oh, he, did he have the frets taped down? Yep. He painted nice. it and everything. It was just like, that was amazing. I could not believe the detail. I wish I still had that because the detail on that thing was just amazing. It was so good. That I don't think I will ever talk to that costume, like to be honest. No, that's actually awesome. Cause I can't even think of any of my costumes that might top that one. No. I mean, and it's funny, the last couple of years I thought about going. I had a few people in mind. Like this year, I thought about going as either Hollywood Hulk Hogan or Nathan Drake from Uncharted. Nice. And that would have been cool because you know, I'm a big fan of the Uncharted games and the movie trailer just came out like a week or two ago, but y'all actually, maybe I'll talk a little bit about the trailer next week. That's because I've got some thoughts on there, given that we're on the topic. So yeah, other than that, I mean, honestly, the Angus Young costume, I think that's that topped it right there. 
and that's funny because it's it's not the best costume I've ever seen. My when my sisters went were in elementary school, some of the parents dressed up, and you know you would see like the traditional like mummies and crap like that. There was one guy, and I shit you not, dressed up like Captain Crunch. That's awesome. It was so spot on. It was not even funny how great that was. Did he have the cereal bowl with him? Yep. Yo, that's awesome. I know. Well, it's funny. Even one of the teachers at work the other day, she came and dressed as Alexander Hamilton. And I, I like, I recognize she's one of the founding fathers. I just, this is where my, you know, my lack of knowledge of us history comes in where I just look at her like, Hey, Edna, which founding father are you supposed to be? What did I say? Washington or Jefferson or whatever. She looks at me and goes, no, I'm Alexander Hamilton. And I was like, like, like the play? Did, did she at least have the bullet in the chest? No. Yeah, because Hamilton got shot by Alan Burr, right? Sorry, Aaron Burr. Hey, you would know better than I do. <laughs> yeah, it's not like she dressed up as like Wimbley or Hancock or something. No. No, it it wouldn't it be a little tasteless if she went as Lincoln with the bolt hole, though. It's hard because it's like that is part of their history. I don't think it, that would discount you for being a good a good costume. No, I don't think so. I gotta ask though because I saw Chelsea post a picture of her costume. What exactly was she this year? Yeah. Oh, so she dressed up as Phineas Gage, who is this very famous person in psychology, not for being a psychologist, but he was working on a railroad in 18, the 1830s and a bit of dynamite went off near him and it shot a railway spike, sorry, a railway tie through his jaw, up through his brain, frontal lobe and out the other side. He survived and lived 10 more years. Apparently he became a massive dick, but the guy lived and it basically gave psychologists the idea that, okay, that was kind of like the lights on moments. Like, okay, if we turn off certain parts, you can live without certain parts of the brain and your behavior is going to change if certain parts of your brain get turned off. And that certain parts of the brain do different things too, right? Right. So it's yeah. kind of a big deal that this guy has this really unfortunate accident because it kind of turns the light bulb on for a lot of people yeah so something good came out of his tragedy well it's funny because when i saw the picture and she had this the tie right you know one here and one here and i'm looking at it like i i don't get it yeah it's it's specialized (laughs) but it's uh yeah no she did a really good job making that up because uh that was all cardboard eh yeah because what was it like a piece of um not paper towel. Was it paper towel roll? Uh, I think it was toilet paper rolls. Oh, okay. And oh. then I think the brain was all either paper towel or like more cardboard or foil. More cardboard. More cardboard. Solid. So Tim, now that we talked about our favorite Halloween candy, least favorite, favorite Halloween costumes, it's time of the episode where we segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the hour. Not bad, not 
So Tim, we got a couple, we got a, well, we don't have a, I don't want to say a ton of new stories to talk about. We do have some big stories to talk about. So let's kick this off. Toronto Police forward Austin Matthews became the first player from the 2016 NHL draft to record 200 career goals. Matthews, drafted first overall by the Toronto Maple Leafs in 2016, had recorded his first goal of the season in the team's fourth game at the time of the story. Uh, Austin Matthews. Is, is he good or something? I don't know. Uh, we'll have to look at Toronto's record. Oh, we, I've heard about this guy. But no, it's not surprising that Austin Matthews is uh, the marquee player of that draft. No, definitely not. And it's funny when you look at the 2016 draft, because usually when you look at a draft five years down the road, you'll have players whose names pop up. And when people do redrafts, they think, oh, well, this player will go here. This player will go there. When you look at the 2016 draft. Okay. So I brought it up here on Wikipedia. Obviously, Mouse and Matthews went first overall. Patrick Laine went second to Winnipeg. Pierre-Luc Dubois, Jesse Pugliarvi. Oli Oliavi, I bet Vancouver wants that one back. Only because Matthew Tuchuk and Clayton Keller went six and seven right after them. And then Miguel Sergachev went number nine to Montreal. Yeah. And that's, and here's the thing is, I'm not even sure Yulievi is that bad of a pick. They just kind of bungled his development. Yeah. Yeah. And then Tyson Jost at 10th. Like, admittedly, the 2016 draft so far has been not that great. No, it, it has been kind of underwhelming, especially in the first round. But the thing is, if you look past 10, you know, obviously, obviously Logan Brown was kind of a mess. But think of the names here. You got Jake Bean at 13, Charlie McAvoy at 14, Jacob Churgan at 16, Logan Stanley at 18. Well, even Dante Fabro at 17. Yeah, Dante Fabro. But no, yeah, it was a kind of an underwhelming first round, very talk heavy. But you know what, though? Still, you're going to get those drafts, right? You're going to get those drafts where it is usually either top heavy or pretty spread out. So, yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I agree with you. I'm not surprised that he's the marquee guy from that draft and the fact that he's the first one to hit 200 goals, which really is amazing because you would you would have thought Patrick Line would have been pretty close, but things haven't exactly gone super, super well over the last couple of years. So no, there's the funny thing about this draft though, is I can see there's some surprise names that did that have done well, despite being in the second, the second or later round already. Like we're seeing uh, Alex Debrincat at 39 has been a revelation for Chicago and, uh, Sam Girard for Colorado has been excellent as well. And Victor Mete at 100, serviceable NHL defenseman. 100%. Montreal Canadiens forward Jonathan Drian has indicated that former team captain Shea Weber has retired from playing and currently is working in a scouting role for the Montreal Canadiens. Weber, who is in Seattle for the team's game versus the Kraken, has not officially signed any retirement papers. You know, and that's just kind of the feeling I kind of had was that Shea Weber is not coming back. And it's really sad because at this point, Shea Weber has already done everything. He's won a Norris Trophy. He's won a gold medal. He just went to the Stanley Cup Finals for the very first time. 
so what what has he got left right i mean the guy is what 36 37 years old he doesn't have if he were to walk away nobody would blame him it's kind of weird that it came out of drew all people like do you have any context of how that came up I don't have any context because honestly, I couldn't really find anything. Maybe he might've mentioned it to the media or maybe he mentioned something to somebody and it got leaked to the media, but I'm not shocked. Honestly, the fact is that Shea Weber, and I think you can correct me from, I think he's on LTIR right now because of his injury in the playoffs. So I'm not surprised if he is working as a scout, Good for him because you see the culture change that he brought with him to Montreal five years ago. And, you know, we, we've talked about it here on top of the hour when it comes to the news stories. So it's a good pickup for them in the scouting department. If Shea Weber actually is retired. Yeah. At the same time though, things are kind of bleak in Montreal now, eh? But like that team lot, they lost Carrie price. They lost Shea Weber and did not a lot to replace them. No. Well, the price one was different because I think with Carey Price... It just it, happened. It happened, but they also had Jake Allen behind him, right? Where yeah. Shea Weber... I mean, what could you have really done in that situation? Because there really wasn't anybody... Signed Dougie Hamilton. Could they have got him? That's the only thing for for what he got. In that's Dirt. true. That's the thing. Yeah, I would have said Dougie Hamilton that would have been a really good replacement for Shea Weber in Montreal, but you got to factor long-term when guys like Cole Caulfield and Nick Suzuki are going to get their big boy deals. So, but then again, it would be Weber's money out, Dougie Hamilton's money in. That would act. I think that would be cap savings given that Weber's on the home grid contract. Cause you'd be going from 11 million to nine. Okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. So we got to move away from talking about Montreal Canadiens defenseman Shea Weber and talking about a Toronto Maple Leafs defenseman. Toronto Maple Leafs have re-signed defenseman Morgan Riley to an eight-year, $60 million contract with an AAV 7.5. Riley drafted fifth overall by Toronto in 2012, has recorded five goals, 30 assists for 35 points in 55 games for Toronto last season. So here's my thoughts on the deal. <laughs> I have no comment about the money. The money is fine because you're paying for Morgan Riley in his prime now. Yeah. Eight years though. Yeah, that's how you get it done. Because otherwise you're probably you're probably looking at above eight million. And the other thing with and this is the hard thing with Morgan Riley is the guy kind of is a defensive liability. He's a very good offensive defenseman. Don't get me wrong. When he is on his defensive game, he is good, but he can be a defensive liability. On top of that, his compare, the players that play like him, let's roll the names. Brent Seabrook, Jake Gardner. It's other names like that. I think Duncan Keith shows up pretty far down that list. So it's like, these are a lot of players that once they turned 30, things kind of fell off. Because remember, Seabrook was a competent, very competent defenseman until he just disappeared. And that would be 
if a compare if a true comparable is Seabrook, this is going to be a hell contract for the Maple Leafs. Like this is go- going to be the Hyman contract. Yeah, I just think for myself, like I wasn't, I'm fine with the money. It's the term. I, I think it, Toronto is really rolling, rolling the dice here of saying, because if he gets on the wrong side of 30, that's a tough contract for Toronto right there. Because yeah. honestly, I'm not a fan of the eight years. If it was like a five-year contract, okay. I can, I would be, I'd be all, honestly on board with that. I think, you know, you would pay him until he's what in his mid thirties at that point, you can kind of evaluate if you want to keep him around, but eight years though. And I was talking to my brother about this because my brother's a Toronto fan. And I just said, I'm again, I'm not a fan of the term from years, but and he was saying to me, he says, yeah, MLSE has money that they can burn. They can buy it out, whatever, but that's going to be huge against the salary cap. They have to buy him out. Yeah. Well, it's like, this is what happens when you have a team that is as top heavy as Toronto is where you've got four guys taking up about half the salary cap is that you can bring down salary. If you increase term, because basically what you're doing is you're taking a away uncertainty. So Morgan Riley is like, yeah, okay. I want to get my money one way or another. It's either less years, more money now, or I, give me a longer term past my prime so it's like you have to get the money in one way or another because i'm guessing morgan riley's number wasn't like eight million or so a season morgan riley's number was probably i want to get at least x many dollars total over the rest of my nhl career yeah and that's fine and you know what this because honestly i think this probably will be riley's final contract in the nhl because i think it takes until what he's 30 Seven? Something like that, yeah. Because he's 29 now. Into late 30s, so that would take him 30. Unless he can do like a Matthew Snyder or a Chris Chelios. Yeah, this is probably his last contract. It's and his rare, contracts though. after this are probably going to be like a million bucks here, two million there for a year. If yeah, he ages but gracefully. But that's the thing that was like, you rarely see defensemen like that. It's like Mark Giordano. You don't see defensemen who are in their late 30s and they're still like so good at what they do yeah like Zidane Chara is definitely an anomaly yeah or even a Nick Lidstrom yeah so we're going to move away from talking about one defenseman to talk about another Vegas Golden Knights have re-signed defenseman Zach Whitecloud to a six-year 16.5 million dollar contract with an AAB 2.75 Whitecloud recorded two goals 10 assists for 12 points in 51 games for Vegas last season or sorry, let me rephrase that. Future Buffalo Saber Zach White. <laughs> we're being honest. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: is I don't think Zach. I like what Zach White Zach White Cloud does. I do not think in any world Zach White Cloud is a top center in the NHL or top defenseman. Uh, yeah, top defenseman. Sorry. No, and that's the thing. I know so little about this guy, so I don't really have an opinion on the matter. But that's a pretty team. That's pretty good, though, man. If you get paid under $3 million for six years yeah, for a team that's so cap 
has a huge cap crunch right now, especially if they do in fact land Jack Eichel, that's going to be a huge deal. So I can understand them going after guys like this to those kind of term, that kind of money. If they're involved in a trade, right? Yeah. No, no, that's fair. That's fair. New York Islanders have re-signed Ford Ross Johnston to a four-year, $4.4 million contract with an AAB 1.1. Johnston, who is in his sixth season with the team, has played one game for the Islanders at the time of the story. This is another one of those guys that you don't really hear much about. I looked at the deal, and my first thought was, huh. A lot of fours, not going to lie to you. Yeah. But yeah, 1.1, it's not bad for like what I'm going to guess is a very, very trots forward. Yeah. And I mean, you know, and it's such a Lou Lamorello kind of signing. He signs guys like this all the time that you know very little about. He plays for Lou, does really well. But no, it's good. Good for him, though, man. Like for a guy who I don't know anything about, the fact he got four years and he's making over a million bucks a year, good on him. You know, yeah, get that bread. Yeah, man. So, Tim, it's time to move away from the Islanders and talk about some Ottawa Senator stories, or should I say, only one story, sadly, this week. San Jose Sharks have traded forward Dylan Gambrell to the Ottawa Senators for a 2022 seventh-round pick. Graham Bell drafted 60th overall by San Jose in 2016, another 2016 draft pick. Recorded five goals, seven assists for 12 points and 49 games for San Jose last season. Not a bad pit deep depth pickup, if I'm being perfectly honest. I don't know anything much about this guy, but, you know, with the injuries to Pinto, Colin White, I, I understand the move. And the fact is that we didn't give up a very high pick. We gave up seventh, which we originally got from them for Christian Yaros. So, yeah. And it's a, he's a funny little player. Uh, the sense could have picked him up for nothing because he was on waivers earlier this year, but he cleared waivers and basically the seventh is, I guess it's just like, well, we can send him down when Shane Pinto comes back without him having to clear waivers again. And you know what? I'm fine with sending a seventh away for that. He played a uh, boat 99 game over hundred games for San Jose. So he's a legit player. And Looks like he could play defense pretty well. Mm-hmm. Offensive black void. Yeah, and we'll definitely talk about that when we talk about the Sens versus Stars game because he did play in his first game with the Senators. No, I and you know, I did see that on Twitter. A lot of people were saying that, oh yeah, we could have gone for free, blah, 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 blah. But the thing is at the time, Ottawa didn't really have a need for that. That was the only thing I can understand a few weeks later with the injuries to Colin White, Shane Pinto, guys like that, where now they have that need at center yeah and honestly it's a seventh yeah what can you say right exactly so tim usually for top of the hour talking about the senators would close out top of the hour for this week we can talk about some games we've got one more story to talk about yeah this is a story you want to talk about an absolute bombshell that hit the nhl and this is a bombshell the league has not had to deal with in quite some time 
The Chicago Blackhawks have released the results of the Jenner and Block investigations into the team's handling of the Brad Altrich abuse allegations. The team parted ways with Senior Vice President of Hockey Operations Al McIsaac and GM Stan Bowman, as well as the Florida Panthers parting with head coach Joel Quenville as a result of the investigation. While the NHL fined Chicago $2 million for the organization's organizations inadequate internal procedures and insufficient response in the handling of matters related to Altrich's employment and ultimate departure in 2010. So, you know, I would usually say, where do I even begin? For me, this story reminds me a lot of Penn State. Right. Football program. Because when you read anything about what Jerry Sandusky did at Penn State to the football players, it was absolutely the right choice that he spent the rest of his life in prison. And when you look at the how disgraced Penn State was after that, Joe Paterno's statue they had at the stadium that got torn down, school records, school championships got stripped. The NHL, this is just one of these stories that you want to talk about a huge black eye. 2021 has not been a great year for the NHL. In terms of Evander Kane, when you talk about Logan Mayhew, and now you've got this. Well, this blows those out of the water. Yeah. And... And it doesn't help that uh, the NHL had a very, very bad press conference Monday morning where Gary Bettman speaks about this for the first time and explains why they did what they did, especially with Joe Quenville being able to play another game, straight couch another game in between the release of this report and his release from the Florida Panthers. In any other industry... Quenville would have basically immediately been put on an administrative suspension pending his talk with Gary Batman. And that did not occur. The sad reality of this story, Tim, is that I wish I could sit here and say, when it comes to professional sports, this is an isolated incident. This isn't even an isolated incident in hockey. Because it's not. Even in the sport of hockey, this is not an isolated incident. When you think of the years where... You had what happened to Theo Fleury. You happened when the ushers were working at Maple Leaf Gardens in the 70s and 80s. But you look at other sports. I just mentioned Penn State with college football. If you're a European listener, Celtic FC. When you look For at Olympic fans, you have uh, Nazar and the Olympic gymnastics program in the United States. Like, you want to talk about something that everybody and their mother has been talking about over the past week. And this is a story that, like I said, I wish this was an isolated incident. I wish I could say that, oh, this only happened like one time. But honestly, what do you really say? Like, you're just shocked when you hear about this. Because honestly, especially, I don't know what it's worse. The fact is that this happened or the fact is, the Chicago Blackhawks were the marquee team of the NHL for the past 10 years. 
They went from a team, keep this in mind, Tim, in 2004, they were voted the worst franchise in sports. Six years later, they're Stanley Cup champions. You're talking about a team who is the marquee team in the NHL for the past 10 years that wasn't the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're talking about an original six franchise, and you're talking about a story not only did the team know, but the league knew. So you can't tell me that there was no innocent parties in all of this. Especially when everybody knew. In the locker room, they knew. The upper manager of the Blackhawks knew. Ownership knew. The NHL knew. And now the hammer's dropping. Yeah, and... The worst part is, is so many of the limp-wristed responses like Taves and Kane can't even apologize. And, you know, like, I don't know if you watch. It's funny because Trevor Shackles mentioned Rick Westhead on our episode last week. And Rick Westhead did an interview with Kyle Beach, the player in question. And, you know, doing third-line plug, Tim, I always mention when it comes to our cover athletes, there's a term I use called, I remember him from the EA Sports games but not as a player. Kyle Beach is that guy. I remember him from the EA games with the Blackhawks. Yeah. And he's one of those guys that for as many high draft picks, the Chicago Blackhawks hit on during their rebuild. Very few of them really did not hit. You're talking Cam Barker. You're talking Kyle Beach. You're talking guys like this. And now this story comes out and the fact is you're talking about a guy whose career is ruined because yeah. of it. And you protect a fucking video coach. And you know what though? This is just one of the stories that we know of. I can't even imagine the amount of players in the NHL whose careers have been ruined because of shit like this this is really for people who are follow like pop culture or entertainment i read probably about 12 pages of the report if you ever heard anything about what harvey weinstein did to actresses of the if you don't do this i will ruin you in your career Mm -hmm. this is exactly it right here and you know what I'm going to say right here, right now, you watch. You fucking watch. In five to six years, when this story is in nobody's consciousness, nobody's talking about it, you watch as both Joel Quenville and Stan Bowman are both employed in the NHL again. You watch. Yeah. That's the sad reality of this, is that guys like this will still be employed. In the same way, Mike Babcock will once again be employed in the NHL. Or Jeff Peters. Yeah. And it's frustrating, too, because you can even tell that the league is trying to push this away. At the presser, the NHL presser today, Pierre Lebrun had to use his question to get Rick Westhead's questions through. Like, what the fuck is that? We're talking about accountability and clearing the air, and you're not going to talk to the journalist who broke the story. 
Like, what does that say? It says a lot. And you know, even for myself and well, I don't claim to be the biggest Gary Bettman fan. I think that Gary has had quite a few successes in the NHL. I think he's done a lot of good for the league, but the NHL's attempt to bury this story, but not only that, they're now fighting this case in court. It's absolutely disgusting. You want to talk about something and you know, you talk about, we're doing this for the betterment of the players. We're protecting the players. We're protecting the league. We're protecting this. They're a fucking business. They're a business. Like there was a thing that came out today about Akeem Aliu. Yeah. He hasn't heard from the NHL in over a year. And we just talked to him about Mike Babcock two years ago when the allegations against Mike Babcock came out. And the NHL was all about, yeah, we're going to support this guy. And we're going to do this. We do that. You fucking watch as Kyle Beach does, has the exact same thing that happened to him. Yep. Once the story stops being talked about when this is no longer people's minds, you watch the NHL doesn't fucking care. I hate to say it. The NHL doesn't care. Why? They're a fucking business. It's not just sport. They're a business. If it's going to hurt their bottom line, if it's going to affect how people perceive them, then yeah, they don't care. They're not going to do anything about this once this story is no longer people's minds. And that's the sad reality of this. Yeah. Like, it's going to keep happening. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. And there was people on Twitter talking about they should remove Brad Ulrich's name from the Stanley Cup. I'm all in favor of that. Yep. What I'm not in favor of, in a weird way, is removing the 2009-2010s Blackhawks from the Stanley Cup. I understand that you're pissed off at the video coach for doing this. I can understand that you're upset with the Blackhawks for knowing this for 10 years and doing nothing. But the fact is, they won the Stanley Cup. If you're honestly going to remove people from trophies because of what they did behind the scenes or cheating or whatever, the Houston Astros would not have a World Series. How many of the Super Bowls the Patriots wouldn't have today? Fucking the Pittsburgh Steelers of the 70s? Because there was always the allegation against steroids and now with CTE and everything against these teams. How many of these championships would be removed if we implement this to all four sports leagues? Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I got nothing. I can't even say anything more, man. Like, I'm just, what can you say? There's, well, all you can really do is just keep the magnifying glass on as long as you can. Yeah. Because it's, what happened is fucked. The way the NHL is dealing with it is fucked. Like, yeah, there's nothing more you can say. No. Well, guys, I guess that wraps up top of the air for this week, which can mean only one thing. It's time to talk, start talking about some games. Now, we've got two games on the schedule. We've got the Capitals versus the Senators and the Stars versus the Senators. But before we do that, let's hit the music. It's time to play the game. 
Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Capitals versus the Senators. This is a 7-5 Capitals victory. Capitals goals are scored by TJ Oshie with a hat trick, Alex Ovechkin with two, Nick Jensen, and John Carlson. Sens goals are scored by Drake with the bath trick, Josh Norris, and Chris Tierney. Shots were 37-31 for Ottawa. Now get ready for this, Tim. Drake Batherson opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Ottawa with a long shot. TJ Oshie gets Washington on the board to tie the game at 1, going top shelf in front of the net. Oshie gets a second on the night from a bad angle to make it 2-1 Capitals. Nick Jensen scores to make it 3-1. John Carlson scores to make it 4-1. Josh Norris hammers one home to make it 4-2 Capitals. Chris Tierney scores to make it 4-3, sliding it home. Batherson gets his second on the night to tie the game at 4, roofing it. Alex Oveshian scores on a breakaway to make it 5-4 Capitals. Oshie gets the hat trick to make it 6-4 after his shot hits Holden skating in. Drake gets the bath trick to make it 6-5. And Alex Ovechkin scores his second of the night to make it 7-5 Capitals, which would be the final. Damn, there's a lot of notes there. So I did mention I had to condense watches because we're recording last week's episode. Obviously, clearly I was the only one, but that's not the point. So let's talk about the bath trick. Drake Batherson, three goals and one assist on four shots. You know, earlier in this season, I was talking about how Anton Forsberg played the best game of his career. Anton Forsberg played the worst game of his career. Drake Batherson played the best game of his career in this game. That second goal you know what it reminded me of? Do you remember the goal that Ryan Dezingle scored against the Rangers in the 2017 playoffs? Yes. The net, he waited, 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 and then he just kind of flipped it top shelf. That's exactly what it reminded me of. And I don't know if you noticed this. When the hats were thrown on the ice, somebody threw a bra on the ice. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, somebody threw a bra on the ice, and immediately it reminded me of – there was a guy, he played on the Canucks in 2007 called Jeff Cowan. And I think, I don't think he scored a hat trick. I think he scored two goals one night and some fan in Vancouver threw a bra on the ice. <laughs> That's exactly what I thought of when I saw this. Weird. Yeah. I think it was really cool that Batherson's dad was in the crowd when this happened though. That's always cool, man. When you get a family member like that for a big night, it's great. Well, it's like, I'm not surprised that Batherson got a hat trick. The player is incredibly talented, great eyes, plays with toe jam. Like he is a legitimate top line forward. It's a shame that they lost this game because like all of Batherson's goals were very pretty goals. Like that second one being the prettiest. Oh, that was so nice. And it's funny, even watching on the condensed version, I was just like, oh my God. Oh, that was so nice. Because I've watched that probably four times since then. I just like, I can't believe, I don't know what it is. Maybe because I always kind of am surprised that Batherson has that kind of talent to him. Because when you see the guys like the Stutzlas, the Josh Norris's, guys like that up front, Batherson just seems like a less physical version of the Chuck. But I think Batherson has more of an offensive upside to him. I could say that. I could say that. Because, yeah, Brady just has hand. His hands are in the ice bucket the whole time, right? <laughs> but, yeah, I really see a lot of upside for Drake Batherson. 
and he was all over the net all game. I, I'm surprised he didn't get a fourth. Oh, that like, was so nice, dude. Like, that's the game he was having. And what's crazy is that Ottawa, I think, outplayed Washington for large stretches of that game. It's just four goal first period is going to sink in no matter what happens. And yeah, they came back to tie it at four. Yeah. I do want to make a comment, though, because during these games, that's the one thing I've really noticed is that the majority of these games are all games Ottawa outplayed them. Yeah. All these games so far, the Sens have outplayed them. The only thing is we haven't scored. The Rangers, we outplayed them. The Caps, we outplayed them. And yet we're on the losing end of both. This game, it was, as far as puck movement goes, Washington basically had free reign when Shabbat and Zub weren't on the ice. And that's what leads to a game like that. Is that for about half the, for a third to half the game, Ottawa is just absolutely drilling Washington. And then off they come off the ice and you have the Nikita Zaitsev and uh, Josh, Nikita Zaitsev, Josh Brown and Victor Mete had terrible games. Okay. Holden was not great either. <laughs> do you want to do you want to hear the one note I have in this in my notes here? Oh, let's go. Let's go. Josh Brown sucked. Exclamation mark, exclamation mark. It's in all caps right now. Well, it's like there was no shots for the Ottawa Senators when Josh Brown was on the ice. Jesus fucking Christ. Like that's incredible. And Patherson's and Brandstrom's in the minors. I can't fucking believe this. One thing that I'm okay with what DJ Smith did after the game is that he actually didn't change up the defensive pairings, mm-hmm. which I feel like is a good vote of confidence for Victor Mete. But man, Josh Brown, after like the past three games he's had, needs to sit. But the fact that MDZ isn't in, that is got to be one to, after a game like this has to be one of the biggest votes of no confidence I've seen from a coach. And you, and surprisingly, we would be in favor of MDZ not even playing, but when you have a guy like Josh Brown who did play so poorly in this game, you would think at least give him a shot, right? Yeah. And it's really unfortunate because I'd like, yeah, call up Brandstrom. Problem is, is that that MDZ signing fucks shit up. Because what are you going to do? Put him in the minors? Because the coach isn't playing him. Why is he here? Yeah, it's true. So and like, I agree with DJ Smith. Don't play. Like, MDZ is lost a step. Like, yeah, he, he's not an NHL defender right now. But like, neither is Zaitsev. There's too much, too much dead money on the defense right now. Yeah, but I, I think once guys like JBD and Sanderson, these guys all start coming up, you're going to see those guys heading out the door. So I do want to move the... But how, Tay? That's a thing. I mean... MDZ's not playing. Zaitsev no. sucks. Zaitsev? He, do you see him maybe as a buyout option? Maybe. I, I wonder if they could waive him and see if some team thinks that he's might just think that he's good and it's addition by subtraction maybe 
maybe uh, let's see here nikita zaitsev Conley. like because we still have two se- we have two more seasons of zaitsev we have two more seat another season of mdz honestly that's the thing i would be fine with buying him out for two years to be quite honest if it's two years well you the only guy you really need to sign long term at this time is Norris and Stutzla. And that's going to be roughly 19, 20. Yeah. Plus. Well, also Jake Sanderson eventually. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where Zaitsev goes from here in Ottawa, though. Actually, let me just run as, like, I don't even know what a Zaitsev buyout would have looked like. Okay. While you're looking that up, Tim, I'm going to go on and talk about some other players. We start off with Josh Norris. One goal, one assist on three shots. That slap shot goal, you want to talk about a classic Josh Norris goal right there. Yeah, that would be nice. So nice, so nice. And then you got Chris Tierney. He got a goal on one shot, and he's continuing his trend of pucks not hitting him and going in, so that's good. Now, the big thing that came out of this game and I can't believe Sportsnet used this on their Twitter page as kind of a, oh, this is why you don't go in the corners with this guy. Oh, the the, that's yeah. going to hit on Nick Paul. That, that should have been a penalty. That should have been a fucking suspension. And you know why I say that should have been a suspension? Because Cedric Paquette got Cedric it. Cedric Paquette did the exact same hit on... Uh, Zergis on Anaheim and got a two-game suspension. Oh, Zergigas, yeah. Zergigas, yeah. It is an identical play. And Paquette got suspended. That is that is a dirty hit. I know. And the fact that like everybody from Sportsnet to Spit and Chicklets on Twitter, they're using this moment to say, oh, well, this is what guess when Alex Ovechkin's an animal up there. I'm like, you do realize he hit a guy from behind, right? Yeah, like it was a hit to the numbers. And here's the thing. Nick Paul was heads up and braced and it still was a bad hit. Yeah. Like there's no way Nick Paul could have taken that hit better. No. Like that is, that is a, that's a boarding suspension. As we saw with when Cedric Paquette did it literally two days later. And this is why I don't think anyone truly believes that the NHL is trying to get cross-checking out of hockey. No. 100%. So let's move our attention away from Alex Veshkin and talk about Thomas Shabbat. Two assists and five shots. I got to say, he's continuing that trend of looking really good out there. Despite the fact he hasn't scored. He looked really good on those goals for two assists. Well, I know we don't like to talk too much fancy numbers on the podcast, but Thomas Shabbat and Zub had an 80% X goals for to X goals against percentage. So they were dominating five on five. Like they ate every pair they came across for lunch. Even the Ovechkin forward line, the Carl, the John Carlson defensive pairing, they destroyed. It was a dominant game for Thomas Shabbat. Yeah. So I do want to make one comment about the Capitals. And over the over time, I, I've always talked about other teams' jerseys and stuff like this. That Capital jersey, 
what is your honest thoughts on the logo they use for that? Is that the one with the, were they playing with the classic logo or the Eagles? No, they were the one that has like the, the wording with the stick. Okay. The classic logo. It's fine. It's kind of like a modern take on it. Yeah. I've never been a fan of it. I don't like it. I don't, you know what, you know what that Jersey would really look good as if you remember from like the late nineties, Peter Vondra era, this caps with the flying Eagle. Right. The one that's like blues and browns and blue and red. Oh yeah. How good those jerseys would look. Okay. Yeah. That would look good. Because Aljo Vetchkin wore that look when he first came in the NHL, except I think black, blue and brown or whatever the hell they were. Yeah. It had like blue plus like the coloring of a bald eagle. Yeah. No, sorry. It was blue. Yeah. I think it was like blue, brown and something or other. It was really Interesting looking jersey. I, I really, really like that logo. But yeah, I think if they had it on those jerseys, like they do for the reverse retros, they look great, man. Yeah. Better than the uh, Capitol Hill ones. <laughs> That's a shoulder patch more than anything. That's not a main logo. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah. No, I agree. You know what else is a shoulder patch that should be on more jerseys? The Ottawa Senators Parliament Hill patch. Oh, Yes. Yes, that should have been that should have been a shoulder patch for the reverse retros, but you know, unfortunately, you can't have everything nice in the world, Tim. So pretty much. Let's move on and talk about the second and final game of the evening. Sens versus Stars this is a four to one Senators victory. Sens goals were scored by Josh Norris with two, Brady to Chuck, and Connor Brown. Stars goals were scored by Joe Pavelski. Shots were 38-24 for Dallas. A somewhat even game overall. Dallas started the game off controlling the play with their physicality and puck control until Ottawa got their game going, scoring twice to end the first. The Stars would outplay Ottawa for the back half of the game. However, it was not enough to secure the W. Yeah, the Sens jumped out to an early lead and then coasted. Yeah. And that's pretty typical of how the NHL teams play. The nice thing that Ottawa did this game is they buried that insurance goal and that was all she wrote. And here's kind of the funny thing is like Dallas definitely outplayed Ottawa, Mm -hmm. but I think Braden Holtby definitely let them down. Yeah. I mean, in fairness, when you have to wear those jerseys though, (laughs) the neon green, what the hell is those things? What the, that you know what it looks like? It looks like if you were playing create a team on NHL 22 and you wanted like a really bright, so you give it like black and lime green. Honestly, I would I'm half expecting to see a monster logo on the front of it instead of that. Yeah, it looks like a fucking can of monster. It does. Like that's incredible. It does, man. It does. So let's talk about some players, man. So Josh Norris, two goals on two shots. Man, it's so great to finally see Josh Norris break out and bury his chances because it's not like he's not getting them. It's the fact is that, like I said last week's episode, he's either missing the net or they're not getting a good shot on the on the net in general. But it's nice to see they finally won it. Yeah, and I think finally starting to get the respect from people around the league that he is a legitimate top line center and a good one at that. So it's funny because. Uh, Dom at the Athletic re-estimated some of the models and uh, Ottawa's top line came out as like 15th in the league with all three players being ranked as, so Brady Kachuk, Josh Norris, and Batherson all being ranked by the model as top 
flight players. And it's like, finally, these players are starting to get the respect they deserve. Yeah, for sure, man. And, you know, and he's not the only guy that we're going to talk about. So given that we did, you did mention to Chuck Batherson, let's start talking about them as well. Drake Batherson had two assists and three shots. Just another fantastic game for Bath in this game as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's continuance of very good play. Six points on the week actually earns Drake Batherson player of the week honors. Second star. Second star with my weekly pickup of Jacob Markstrom taking first honors. Right there, Tim. Right there. <laughs> Fucker. I know, you son of a bitch. You snake me out of nowhere. I go from like first because it was just like me and Tuka. That's all that was there. And next thing I know, you snake me, you son of a bitch. And now you're at hey, top of the league. I didn't realize how bad my goaltending was fucking sandbagging me. Yeah. I mean, good for you. I mean, I, I shouldn't be as mad as I am about it, but still, man, you know. that I mean, bar- The Barkstrom pickup, I'll admit, getting two shutouts in two games, I couldn't have planned that. The theory was good. You know what pisses me off is that I have to bring it and Josh Norris in the lineup right now. Zero points. Yeah. Thanks. So let's talk about Brady to Chuck. Scored his first goal of the season on two shots. It's a very Brady goal. It's such a Brady goal. I love the Frank the Dan- Frank the Tang dance. But yeah, it's it's cleaning up shit, and that's why we have him. You know, I was going to say, if Craig Medaglia was still with the team, I would have suggested that the Senators try. Do you, do you ever see the movie Old School? No. Okay, there was a scene in Old School where they had all these kids that were going to pledge to their um, fraternity. Yeah. Where they had a cinder block tied to their, you know, tied to their junk. Yeah. And they're going to drop it from a bridge as a sign of your allegiance or your complete loyalty. Yeah. Your loyalty, right? And so Will Farrell is talking to this old guy whose name is Blue. And he's just like, Blue, are you ready to die here tonight? He's like, sir, yes, sir. Blue, you're my boy. All I thought of was Brady to Chuck in that with Artem Zub. He's like, Zub, you're my boy. <laughs> yeah. But the funny thing about that movie is that the spoiler, it's like a 20-year-old movie now. It's yeah. So the old guy ends up passing away in the movie. Of course. Frank the Tank is at the funeral talking, and he goes, you're my boy, Blue. All I see is Brady to Chuck yelling, you're my boy, Zoo. <laughs> God, I can't wait in January when I go to that game, because I want to make a sign that says, you're my boy, Zoo. And with a picture of Frank the Tank? Yes, with Brady's head on the... Oh, okay, speaking of that Canucks game, you know how I got tickets in the 300s? Yeah. yeah. So I've made the unfortunate decision... Uh-huh. Uh did you try to get better tickets? Six rows from the ice. <laughs> let's go. It's gonna be so good. So good. So let's talk about Philip Gustafson as well. 38 saves, a 0.974 save percentage. This guy just continues to make a serious case that he should be the number one goalie in Ottawa. Yeah, it was a very positionally solid game from Gustafson and just closed out Dallas. He did. Especially, like, he was rock solid in that third period when Dallas just put put all the gasoline on. Yeah, which is funny because I don't know about you, but 
the game itself was just not super exciting to watch. It was just kind of, or maybe because I was like half asleep when I'm watching the first two periods. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, like this fucking game. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Yeah. The Dallas. It's Dallas always is against boring, Dallas, yeah. too. It's always against the Dallas Stars, is when we don't, we have a game that's just not exciting. The first yeah. meeting in Ottawa was not exciting. This game was really not that exciting. Yeah, no, I'm not disagreeing with you there. It was just boring hockey. So moving away from the play on the ice, I do have three notes I do want to make here before we close out this game. Now on the TSN feed of this game, I don't know if you noticed, but their scoreboard graphic was not working in the first period. No, I didn't. And Gordon Miller actually made a comment about that in the broadcast because, you know, it was funny. You'd see the graphic and then it like disappears completely. No, it's sometimes, okay, you know, it's not perfect. Sometimes it disappears and comes back. But it disappeared and just didn't come back for, like, a long duration. Weird. So I noticed that. Now, the next two comments I want to make is actually about football. Okay. Now, when you watch this game, which feed did you watch it on? Did you watch it on the Stars feed or the TSN feed? TSN. Did you happen to catch Mike Johnson's comment regarding Southern teams playing more away games during football season? No, but that makes sense. So I caught that and it actually made me think about that. I was like, that's actually a pretty good point, actually, that you never think of. Because when you play in especially Texas, where football is the big sport there. Yeah, but then when you notice in like, in big college states like Tennessee or Florida or Texas or some of these states where you have like the big, big football schools, you tend to notice that there's a lot more away games during those, during those months of like October to December. Yeah. Especially during, especially on the weekend. Yeah. And I never thought about that, but the more I think about it, the more that makes sense. It's funny because like, I could probably, well, if I could figure out, if I take a bit of time to figure out the NHL's uh, API, you could actually just run a statistical test on that, where you take uh, basically teams in the South, Mm -hmm. put a dummy variable on them, and then run the ratio of home to away games per month. And then, uh, yeah, mark Southern teams, mark games during January, your dummies, and then just run the regression to see is there in if you interact the two and get a negative sign, it basically says, yeah, on average, southern teams more so than northern teams would play more away games during football season. Mm. So yeah, that is something you can test. Absolutely. But I was also thinking about other states where fo- college football is also very big. Like you have California where you got USC, you think of Pennsylvania with Penn state, you think of some of these other like Northeastern states where you have like, like a Boston college or some of these kind of football schools. So that would be interesting to do too. So yeah, it's definitely something interesting to think about. Now the final comment I do want to make, and it's something that TSN showed quite a few times during the broadcast is given that the game was in Dallas, there was a Dallas cowboy at the game. Okay. So Dallas Cowboys defensive tackle Neville Gallimore 
He's, I think he's in his second year, I think, with the Cowboys, or third year with the Cowboys. He's from Ottawa. He was born and raised in Ottawa. Oh, okay. He was at the game in a <laughs> jersey. They caught him on camera cheering for the Senators. The people at the arena came down to, you know, like you have the people at the game. They're like, hi, this is whatever for, say, Sense TV or whatever. Yeah. In the crowd talking to people. They had one of those people that went up to him with a Dallas Stars jersey and got him to put it on in front of everybody. <laughs> you can see when Ottawa's doing good, he's just looking down like, he kind of has that look like, oh, I want to cheer for my team. But I've been asked by the establishment. It's hilarious because when he got, I think this is like before he got drafted or when he got drafted, he even, somebody asked him because he's from Canada, do you have a favorite hockey team? He goes, yeah, my favorite team is the Ottawa Senators. Nice. He just openly said it. Well, it's funny because talking about stuff that we saw on the broadcast, what do you think about Brady Kachuk's shirt? I love the fact that I'm now letting you run the sense to our Twitter account during games. <laughs> do you think it would have been anything else would have been like the first Tim tweet on third line plugs other than yo TD shirt. I'm not surprised. <laughs> I really am not surprised except for the fact that you wrote our hashtag wrong, but other than that, no, 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 it's fine. Yeah, we don't talk about that though. But yeah, it's just you see it, and you're just like, this kid's 21 years old, man, and he's just built like a tank. It's just like, yeah, you know what? If that's how you're gonna wear the shirt, more power for you. But yeah, I didn't know that there were Sens titty shirts. Well, now now we I do. Now we know, Tim. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on these games before we head off into the close for another evening? Uh, if I'm talking about Sen's titty shirts, you know... Oh, wait. I did look up the Nikita Zaitsev buyout. Yeah. According to Cap Friendly's buyout calculator, you would have about $800,000 spread over four years. However, yeah. the team still has to pay the signing bonus. Yeah, he's, he's, not, he's not going anywhere. So but it would save the team about $1.6 million over the 2022-2023 and 2023-2024 seasons. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug, Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording it for you. We're on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network. You can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. We're also on Twitter at Third Light Plugs or Twitter Herald. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 WYTE Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you also want to comment about the Dallas Stars jersey or Sense Titty shirts, choose an email, Third Plus Sense Guys at gmail.com. So, Tim, next week, man, we got four games to talk about. Jesus. It's going to be a good one. You know, we're going to have lots of stuff to talk about next week. So for the games of the week, we've got tonight's game in Chicago versus the Chicago Blackhawks, which we're losing to nothing. Are you serious? Tomorrow night, we are in Minnesota to play the Minnesota Wild. Thursday, we return home to play the Vegas Golden Knights. And Saturday, we are, we are also back at home to play our expansion brethren, the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
hopefully some good games. Hopefully. Hopefully, uh, maybe I'll snake you once again in fantasy hockey and you would never be one and two again. <laughs> well, I think uh, we're we're tight in. Like, first, second, and third are only separated by, like, four points. Something like that. Yeah, I think it's where, where are we right now? Let me have a quick, quick look. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. 94 and 87. So that's what? That's seven. Seven? Okay, seven points. That's not bad. Yeah. To be fair. To be fair. I did have a 13-point night on Saturday. Yo, that shit was beautiful. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sens, guys. Woo!